Hey, good evening, everybody. Let's hear for the worship band tonight. Holy smokes. That's really good. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you tonight. Am I on? Okay, good. Let me get these numbers out of the way. That's going to bother me. I'm so excited to be with you. It was so fun to watch you from a distance. And you know, it really helps the speaker to sort of know his audience. So I, I want to do like a, a personality profile with you, okay? Just so tonight's talk goes really well. Now, when I was in college, it was the Myers-Briggs, and I was like this INFP. So here it is. When I count to three, I just want you to take your hands like this, and when I count to three, just put your hands together, and then just keep them together any way that you want to. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, freeze. Now, if your left thumb is over your right thumb, raise your hand. Okay, you all are the thinkers, okay? Now, if your uh, right thumb is over your left thumb, raise that. Okay, you people are sexy, okay? <laughs> now, if your thumbs are together, you think you're sexy. <laughs> it was great to watch you today from a distance. Did anybody uh, throw a snow? I'm going to take a little survey. Did anybody throw a snowball today? If you did, just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anybody throw a snowball? Anybody eat an icicle? Anybody go down a hill in a sled? Okay, there, there you go. Woo, woo, that's all right. Okay, did any of you take your three-quarter ton pickup truck out on the lake on the ice? Woo, woo! <laughs> you know, I've never done that in my entire life. In Indiana, you don't do that. I've never done it, except that once. No, no, that's not true. Take a look at this. I tell you, all my hunting buddies, they're going to love that. But seriously, let's go through the list. Woo, woo, really loud if you do this. Did you go to the pool today? How about boot hockey? How about the game room? Anybody go to the game room? How about inflatables? Did anybody do the inflatables? Okay, how about the Gull Lake Center mini car races? Woo! <laughs> How about the glacial water spa? Water spa. Whoa. The ladies like that. Anybody go ice fishing? Did you catch any? No, it doesn't matter. Okay, skiing, snowboarding, and tubing. Anybody do that? Golf simulator? <laughs> You know what? Anybody take a nap? Anybody fly kites out on the lake? Oh, that wasn't your group. Okay. You know what? It looks like a whole lot of stuff that just looked like 
whittling. Bingo! Anybody do bingo? A whole lot of stuff that just looks like whittling ends up being a whole lot of carving. Because 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God is in you. And uh, the more you realize the amazing love story of Jesus Christ and how much he loves you, your faith will increase. You know, you're a room full of people who believe a lot of things. But if your belief would become faith, uh, there would not be a person in your world that would be safe from the gospel. So stay in the game. Get off the bench. Put on the life uniform of God and the full armor of God and uh, get in there and go for it. I'm uh, very excited. I get to tell people about Jesus all over the place and I love it uh, that I'm here. This is a beautiful place. Uh, I've never been any place like this and I hope to come back here uh, someday with my grandkids. Uh, I have preached the gospel in 58 countries and 49 states. The only state that I have not preached the gospel is Hawaii. Ocean people, they're killing me. (laughs) I'm an evangelist. I'm not a a pastor. And and the reason I love preaching the gospel places like this is because sometimes missionaries like me, evangelists, they get sent to places like South America. And uh, my degree in college was wildlife biology. And I hate snakes. And the largest snake in the world is in South America. And I'd like to tell you about it. It's the anaconda snake. It's a snake that can be 30 feet long. That's as long or longer than the stage. It can be as big around as a basketball. And it can weigh up to 300 pounds. And back in the 1950s, if you were a missionary or you were in the Peace Corps or uh, you were in the military, when you got off the plane, they handed you a manual on jungle survival. And one of the chapters is what to do if you come across an anaconda snake. And uh, this is an absolutely true story. So imagine yourself, you're a missionary, an evangelist, and you're tripping through the jungles of South America. And all of a sudden, you look down, and there is a three 100-pound, 30-foot snake looking at you. His little tongue is whipping in and out. And you freeze and you think to yourself, thank goodness I've got my manual. (laughs) So you go to the anaconda snake chapter. And step one on what to do if you come across an anaconda snake is don't run. Because anaconda snakes can outrun people. And if they catch you, they wrap themselves around you and they squeeze you until you die and then they swallow you whole. And so you think to yourself, I'm not going to (laughs) run. Step two says, lie down on the jungle floor. So you lay down on the jungle floor and the snake is still like checking you out. Step three says, allow the snake to peruse your body. (laughs) There you are, laying down on the jungle floor. Trips me up, I can't even talk about it. (laughs) While a 300 pound, 30 foot snake peruses your body. Step four says, 
Allow the snake to swallow you feet first. See, you're supposed to pretend like you're dead because if you wiggle around, they, they wrap around you and kill you and swallow you whole. So you're supposed to somehow finagle your way so that the snake swallows you feet first. And I don't know what you do if the snake takes a hankering for your head. I think you're pretty much just dead at that point. But there the snake dislocates its jaw and it starts to crawl up your body feet first. Up, 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 ever so slowly. And there you are. You're all cocooned inside of a snake and his nose is right there. And you have had the forethought to keep your manual hand out. <laughs> and the last step of an anaconda snake attack is with your knife at your side, quickly flick your wrist and sever the snake's spine. You see, with the jaw dislocated, he's very vulnerable. And he's uh, right there. And with your knife at your side, all you have to do is just go, and it cuts the snake's spine, it dies instantly, and you crawl out of a 30-foot, 300-pound anaconda snake. Now, imagine the horror of it all if you read that and you say to yourself, knife? What knife? <laughs> you see, all the rules of how to survive an anaconda snake attack are based on one thing, a knife. And in my life, and in my marriage, and in my business, and in my love for my children and my grandchildren, my knife is Jesus Christ. Without him, nothing else makes sense. You might as well just go off on your own because it is not going to work. Because Jesus is the only one who can take you from boredom to abundance He's the only one that can take you from hopeless uh, to hapless to dreaming and scheming big, hairy, audacious things. He's the only one that can take you from darkness to light. He is the only one that can take you from death uh, to life. This Jesus changes everything. Uh, this Jesus. Colossians 1.15 I think I can remember it. It says, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. And whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he also is the head of the body, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness to dwell in him. And having made peace, through him, I say, whether things in heaven or on earth, he made peace on the blood of the cross. Through him, I say. John 1.1 1, 1 says, see, God knew that there'd be a day that we'd be sitting in there in our marriages and with our kids 
and with our jobs and with everything. And we would be saying things like, God, if I could just see you, I'd believe in you. Remember that when you were, uh, before you met the Lord? Lord, if I could just see you, I could, and touch you, I'd believe in you. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our knife is just Jesus. Christianity is nothing but Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. I'm wondering if you've let some extra knives slip into your knife, into your life. And if it's time just to go back to the basics of Jesus Christ. You know, I have uh, always lived in the country, and before I got married, I rented this old farmhouse, and I had three dogs, George and Tick and Buster. And uh, I would go out on the front porch, and they'd come tearing across the pasture. And uh, they would come into the front door, they would run right through the living room, and uh, they would... Uh, hit the kitchen floor and they, they couldn't stop because it was annoying. They'd slam into the cabinets and then they'd go to the right into the family room. And there, I had three chairs set up that I picked up down at the dump. This was way before I was married. <laughs> and they would go get in each of their chairs. And uh, 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 Tick and Buster, uh, they, they would stay there all day. They were not allowed to get out of those chairs except for one thing, just to go and get a drink of water. I had this big apple pail of water in the kitchen. So uh, Tick and Buster, they would go get a drink of water, and then they would leave. But George, he couldn't get it. George would get out of the chair. He would go right by the apple pail of water. He would go into the bathroom and drink out of the toilet. You would hear it echoing through the house. I tried everything to get him to stop. I rattled the shower curtain. I beat newspapers onto the bathtub. And uh, it was so frustrating. And so I had this idea. I'll become a dog. I'll become a dog and I'll say, George, if you knew what went on in there, you would not drink out of the toilet. <laughs> of course, I can't become a dog. But the God of the universe became a human being to look us in the eye and say, hey, you're choosing uh, toilet water. This Jesus changes everything. I told you that my dad died when I was little, and uh, so it was just me and my mom and my brother. We were very poor. I didn't know it. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. I remember sleeping with my mom in a twin bed until I was in the second grade, and uh, I remember coming home from school, and there were bunk beds, and man, that was like, yes, me and my brother had bunk beds. Well, one of the great memories that came out of that is, I don't know, I was five, something like that. It was right after my dad died. But uh, I came out of that little apartment one day, and there on the sidewalk is a baby bird. It was all pink and yucky looking. It, it didn't have feathers. It was taking a breath about every 10 seconds. And even at five years old, I remember thinking, here is something created to fly and yet look at it it's unrecognizable 
as to what it was created for. Does that sound like anybody you know? I looked at it a long time and I went inside and I said, Mom, baby bird. And she said, what all moms say about baby birds, don't touch it. <laughs> so I went outside and picked it up. My brother and I, we fed it stuff with an eyedropper, and it was a miracle. It, it, it lived. It got feathers. It got wings. It had everything it needed to live, but uh, it, it wouldn't fly. It's like it had no idea it was created to fly. My mom said, the bird has to go. She got tired of all the stuff that birds do indoors. So every night after supper, we would start flight training, and I would take the bird out of the cage. And I would go out in the yard, and I would hold the bird on my finger. And the neighborhood kids, we would show the bird how to fly. Some of us would glide. Some of us would flap our arms. My best friend, Randy West, he stood out there with two flashlights like the airport guy. <laughs> but the bird just sat there. So then we started to toss the bird up in the air as high as we could. We would toss it up there, and it would go up, and then boom. And we did that a lot. One day, I was taking the bird to put it back in the cage, and without warning, the bird takes off flying inside the house. My brother and I were high-fiving. My mom's hiding behind the couch with a broom. My brother, he goes over, and he opens the front door. All the bird has to do, to do what he was created to do, is to go through the door. My brother's standing there. The door's wide open. The bird heads towards the door, and just when you think he'd be out, he'd come back in. It was driving us crazy. And then something wild started to happen because the picture window is right beside the door, and the bird starts smashing into the picture window over and over and over again. And I wish I could tell you this story had a happy ending. Bird hits the window one last time, falls down dead on the couch. I know, I was bummed too. And I remember thinking, you stupid bird. All you had to do was go through the door. It was 12 years later when I was 17 years old that I realized that bird, that's me. That's us. That's teenagers. That's kids. Power, position, possession, popularity, a bigger car, a three-car garage instead of a two, money, sex, power, boyfriends, girlfriends, good looks, good grades, pornography. Some of those things are really good things, things I pray for for my grandkids every day. But I want to remind you the truth of the gospel. They have nothing to do with eternal life. You could have all those good, good things and not have eternal life. Jesus, this Jesus that changes everything, he says it like this. I have come that you would have life and that you would have it with abundance. And one verse before that in John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. If you want to have life, you got to go through me. 
this Jesus changes everything. In Matthew 14 is the famous story of Peter. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he sent the multitudes. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening was almost there, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It was the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. And three or four stadia is not quite halfway across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. It's dark. They know they're trying to get to the other side. They see the goal. And uh, they're battered by waves. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened. It is a ghost. And they cried out. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Uh, right there is a great uh, family uh, devotion. Uh, I just want to say something. I am a professional devotion person. If anybody should be able to run a family devotion, it ought to be me. And I want to tell you, I sucked at it. I stunk up the place. Like my kids would be banging their head on the table. And I'm just trying to get them to get through a, a little passage like this. Let me encourage you, friends. Some things are worth doing poorly. You go home and you stink that place up with the word of God. Okay, that was an aside. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. Uh, see, and Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come, on, come out. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. He got off the bench. He got in the game. And he started to walk towards Jesus. But seeing the wind and the waves, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Can you see it? The water is going up, up. He is sinking. Do you know anybody like that? And here's what it says. And immediately, immediately, Jesus reached down and waved goodbye as Peter sank to his death. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not what it says. Immediately, he saved Peter, and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Faith. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. After I got my degree in forestry, I want to tell you something. I got me a Master of Arts in Theology. On my American Express card, it says, Reverend Michael J. Ashburn. I could marry and bury and baptize anybody in here. I could impress your socks off right now with the difference between belief and faith. I have a question for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer? Do you believe Jesus is the knife? I wish I could encourage you and tell you it was enough. The Bible would lift up the idea that our belief should become faith. Hebrews, uh, Greek, all that stuff that should make me a good devotion leader. All that stuff's not how I learned about faith. My little girl taught me. She was about one and a half. However old it is, I sort of lost track that they're wearing a diaper with nothing else on. And you kind of push them and they take off running and then just immediately kind of veer off to one side. That's how old she was. And I was babysitting by myself. And I was also putting a roof on my house. I know it doesn't sound that good so far. <laughs> she was in the sandbox in the grass. She had sipper cups. She had all this candy she wasn't supposed to have. She was throwing sand. She was laughing. And I'm up on the roof. I can, she's right there. And it was old school roofing. So pop, 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 pop. I'm sliding back and forth. I never took my eye off of her. We were singing. We were laughing. We were having the best daddy-daughter time. I climbed off the roof. I went over there and I rubbed her on the head. I got down on my knees. I gave her a zerbert on her belly. I was tickling her neck. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Does it get any better than that? I went over and I opened the screen door. I turned my back on her this, this long. I reached in there. I grabbed a drink of tea. I turned around. The screen door slammed shut. Melissa's gone. The sandbox is empty. I'm looking all over the place. And I don't know why, but I turned around and Melissa is on the roof. She had climbed up the ladder. She was standing in the gutter. Her feet were gutter sized. And she had a hold of one side of the ladder and she was grinning down at me. And I took one look up there and I got to admit to all you guys, my very first thought was, Whew, my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> but I put a big fake smile on my face and I started to go up that ladder uh, to get my little girl. But she thought it was a game and she took off running down the edge of the roof and I stopped on the ladder and she would stop on the roof and I would ease down to the ground and she would sneak back to the top of the ladder and grin down at me. We did that three times, up and over, down and back. And I realized it was going to take something ridiculous to get her down. So I stepped away from the ladder. I looked her right in the eye. And I called her by name. Melissa, 
jump. My Melissa, she believed. She believed with all of her heart that her daddy would catch her. But her belief became faith when her feet left the roof and she leaped. It wasn't a knowledgeable leap. It wasn't mature. It wasn't wise. It was blind, beautiful, ridiculous, radical, childlike faith. I'm telling you, it is the only kind of faith the Bible talks about. And I'm so excited to tell you this story has way better ending than the bird story. <laughs> I called her. I love her. And Family Fest, your heavenly father, he loves you so much more. He fixes his eyes on you. And he calls you by name. And he calls you into a life of faith, not just uh, belief. Is it time for your belief to become faith? By saying yes to being a Sunday school teacher. By be picking up a hammer for Habitat for Humanity. By writing your pastor or priest an encouraging letter. Is it time for your belief to become faith um, by starting to tithe or to give us some check to some worthy organization? Men, is it time for your belief to become faith uh, by taking your wife or your daughter out on a date? Or is it time to try to, uh, to run a really lousy devotion around a kitchen table with all the phones turned off? Because if a room full of people's like use belief becomes faith. Uh, there is not a person in your family or the next generation to come that will be safe from the amazing love story of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Whew. Uh, Lord, thanks. That was a lot of fun. We thank you uh, how you pursue us. I thank you, Lord, that we were created to be different from everything else. I pray, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on you. I pray that we would understand in our heart that you're the only way to life. I pray, God, that you would not let creep things in and that would help us, to help us focus on waves instead of crying out for you to save us. I pray that you would bless these people, Lord. Bless them and keep them and their children and their dreams. And then please help us to finish strong this weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.